welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. I'm Cheryl Nason, and this is a show about books and the people who write them. Each week, we feature conversations with top authors of fiction and nonfiction about their latest work, and you can have copies of those conversations. All you have to do is go to iTunes, and all of our interviews are available to you free of charge as free downloads. Our topics for this week's show are personal skill development and business success. New York Times columnist Paul Sullivan focuses on the issue of why some people excel under pressure and others don't in his fascinating new book, Clutch, published by Portfolio, the business imprint of Penguin. In Blast Off, published by Reese House Publishing, author Allison Maslin shares her plan to jumpstart your personal goals and move forward with your dreams. Paul Sullivan has a degree in history from Trinity College and the University of Chicago. Currently, he writes the Wealth Matters column for the New York Times. His articles have appeared in Condé Nast Portfolio, the International Herald Tribune, Barron's, the Boston Globe, and Food and Wine. He's also been a reporter, editor, and columnist at the Financial Times. He's joining us today to talk about his new book, Clutch, Why Some People Excel Under Pressure and Others Don't. Paul, what a pleasure. Welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. You got me from the title of the book. I mean, when I saw the way the book cover looked and I read the title, I thought, what is this? I flipped it open and started to read, and I thought, I have to talk to Paul Sullivan. So I'm, I'm That's just what I want to hear. We're off to a great start. Good, good, good. <laughs> and let's tell our listeners, they may be sitting there thinking, what? Let's tell them a little bit about what Clutch is about, and then let's talk about some specifics, because the book's just fascinating. Yeah, um, I mean, the initial idea for the book came to me, you know, 2007, 2008, when I watched, you know, like everyone else was, otherwise bright people make horrible decisions under pressure. And, you know, I started joking with some friends of mine, saying, you know, hey, you know, remember those times we've we've played golf? And they said, oh, yeah, Paul, you were, you know, a horrendous choker. And, and we had a good laugh. Um, and then I started thinking about it, you know, when I choke on the golf course, it may be frustrating to me, but it but it doesn't matter. When you know somebody running a bank, when somebody you know commanding a battalion, when you know somebody you know in a courtroom chokes under pressure, it has serious ramifications. And you know, as a lifelong sports fan, I know that we all want to root for the clutch player, and deep down we want to be clutch ourselves. And so that was really the. Uh, initial idea behind the book and you know over the years of, of writing it it, it it expanded a bit but it, it really I wanted to answer that question you know why are some seemingly smart people uh, better under pressure than others who seem just as smart and you know the thing that I like about the book too is that you have pulled s- stories I mean you have stories not only from the sports world and I think we all we can talk about clutch. One of the things I loved in the book was the very beginning where you give four examples and you say, okay, 
if you really think you know what clutch is, which one of these four examples really works? And there are two of them that actually do, and I'm not going to say which two. <laughs> but I liked that, and I think that we can recognize clutch. It's one of those, sometimes I call them squishy words, where we know it when we see it. But how do you define that when you're really looking at clutch? And you have examples from sports, you have examples from business, and you also have, I was stunned to find an example from the arts and theater. How do you define clutch? Yeah, I, I, great question. I, I define it as the ability to do what you can do under normal circumstances under extreme pressure. And, and that's important to me because it, it's not luck, you know, and, and thank you for not giving away the examples at, at the end of the, at the beginning of the book, but, you know, the two that aren't clutch, I believe, involve a tremendous amount of luck. And, you know, as I started off, I mean, you're absolutely right. We, we know what clutch means. We, 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 we know it when we see it, uh, and, and we see it a lot in sports, or we see its opposite in sports. We see choking. But, uh, you know, just as when I choked playing golf, that ultimately didn't matter to me. It may have ruined my day, but it didn't matter. And just as if our, our favorite football team or baseball team uh, chokes going down the stretch, it, it may be frustrating to us, but it doesn't ultimately matter. I wanted to take this term that we're all familiar with and, and, and take it away from sports and, and apply it, as you said, to areas of our lives that have you know much more relevance. I mean, how are we you know doing under the pressure of our jobs? How are we doing under the pressure of you know our hobbies? I mean, the the acting example is, is, you know, the actor, essentially what he's talking about in, in that chapter of my book is, is stage fright. So think of all the times people have to get up and give uh, presentations and, and how, you know, some of them do a great job, but others who, who may know more than that person who does a great job uh, choke under the pressure. You know, even, you know, I've talked to, uh, to groups of, of stay-at-home moms about this, about how they can get better under the the pressure of of taking care of their their families, and so what my goal was was to you know identify you know talk to top performers you know across a range of professions and identify the the common traits of those who were clutch, and then work to see how we could uh, apply those traits to 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 parts of our lives that would be very relevant to us. What role does discipline play in being clutch? Discipline is, you know, they identify five traits. The first is focus. Uh, the second is discipline. Uh, the third is adaptability. The fourth is being present. And the fifth is what I call the push and pull of fear and desire. So, you know, nothing in the book, nothing can happen without focus, without your ability to sort of be there and to think only on the task at hand. But the second most important one is discipline. And, you know, I describe it quite simply as the, the the battle of you uh, against yourself. And one of the examples I give uh, in that chapter of the book is about um, this, this psychiatrist named Ari Kiev, who in the 1970s uh, was named a psychiatrist to the U.S. Olympic Committee. So he was brought in to deal with you know, top athletes. But in the 1970s, Athletes didn't want to go to a psychiatrist. I mean, there was still a stigma against it. You know, only crazy people go to psychiatrists. Um, that you know, peak performance wasn't really understood. And so, Ari Kiev had this job, but 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 he didn't really have anybody to work with. And so, finally, the riflery team, some guys from the riflery team, came up to him and said, you know, we have a question for you. Why can we shoot 
uh, perfectly well in practice, but not in competition. And this, to him, was it was a perfect scenario in which to to talk about discipline because there's a control. I mean, it's not like a football game in which somebody's going to run after you. Uh, it's not you know you're not playing in a stadium where the fans could have an influence one way or the other. I mean. Shooting uh, a, a rifle in practice is exactly the same as shooting a rifle uh, in competition. Uh, nothing changes. The range is the same. Nobody's yelling at you. Uh, you've got a gun, so so nobody's charging at you. You, you don't have to worry about that. Um, but what Kiev found after studying these guys was it was simply they started to breathe differently when they were in competition. So he he worked on their discipline, and he got them to a point where they would shoot between breaths. And as soon as they did that, their performance uh, picked right up, and they were shooting almost as well in competition as they were um, in practice. And that was wholly due to uh, their ability to, to discipline themselves, to sort of win that battle against themselves. Now, I know somebody out there is thinking exactly what you address in your book. They're thinking, well, wait a minute. What's the difference between discipline and concentration? Because on the surface, they sound like they could be the same thing, but they're not. Yeah, and and I draw that it's a it's a great question. I address it all the time in in, in talks, and the way I look at it is I, I draw the parallel between concentration and focus. And the, the easiest way to think about it is concentration is a flashlight. Uh, dis a focus is a laser beam. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean concentration is driving your car home on the the highway tonight. Focus is driving a Ferrari on a racetrack at 200 miles an hour, and by the way, it's not your Ferrari. Wow, what a great analogy. I really like that because that makes it, that brings it home to something I can identify with and understand. Focus is really a linchpin, isn't it? Exactly. Yep, and, and it's really sets the person up for everything else that they're going to have to do under pressure. So it's almost a cascade. Once I learn really how to focus and then I bring the other discipline and adapting and fear and desire, I bring all of those things into play. But focus has to come first. That's right. Yep, it's like, it's like gravity on the earth. Without it, things don't work. Well, what about adapting? Now, some people will say, wait a minute. That, that, isn't that just giving in? Isn't that just sort of rolling with the punches? But it's really not. No, it's not, and and it's why it's you know the third trade after discipline because discipline is going to keep you from just from being wishy washy from from rolling with with the punches. You know, adaptability is really you know when you have a plan in place and something forces you to change it. Uh, for example, one of the fellows I talked to in the book, uh, the Secret Service agent, and you know the secret service model is for nothing to ever happen and they do everything they possibly can to prevent anything from happening when when they're protecting somebody and the the fellow I talked to in 92 he was guarding Bill Clinton when Bill Clinton was running for um for president and uh they're in California and they're on a rope line and you know as we all know you know, President Clinton likes to talk to people. He likes to to get in the crowd and impress the flesh and 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 chat away. And they had it all pretty contained. I mean, that was their plan. Their plan was, okay, he's going to walk here to there, and you know, a dozen Secret Service agents around him. We have this covered. But of course, uh, I wouldn't be telling this story if if it worked out that way. <laughs> and 
you know, after doing his, his rope line, uh, you know, then Governor Clinton decides he wants to go talk to some more people. Well, this isn't quite what the Secret Service had planned, but they were able to adapt, you know, their their structure around him, uh, except one of the people he goes to talk to uh, decides to, to grab his hand and hold on to him and try to pull him into the crowd. Wow. Now, the Secret Service agent I talked to was the number one agent that day, which means Number one is always next to the person who's being protected. And he, he told me, he says, you know, it's not possible. But the only thing I heard was Clinton telling me he won't let go. And within 15 seconds, this agent had broken uh, the, the, the person's hand in the crowd, broken his hand, dropped the guy to the ground. And, you know, agents two and three get behind him, and they all start to push Clinton into the SUV, you know, four, five, and six, jump on the guy, seven, eight, and nine, fan out into the crowd. And everything is so well orchestrated to adapt in that moment of pressure. And it's just incredible. And, you know, when this agent is telling me this story, I was totally wrapped up in it. And, and my first question to him was, you know, what happened to the guy? You know, what exactly. happened to the guy? That's what you're thinking exactly. He, he broke. Like, what happened to the guy? And he pauses, and he looks at me like I'm the dumbest person he's ever encountered, and he says, I don't know, and I don't care. Wow. That, yeah, that wasn't part of the plan. You know, when the plan changed, this agent adapted, and he knew that every other agent would fall in behind him, and they all had their job to do. And, you know, that's why the Secret Service system works so well. That, of course, is an extreme example, and most of us aren't going to have to do that in our lives. But, you know, think of the difference, you know, in a simple way. If, if, if you're standing in a, in a bar and it's not crowded, you're going to walk in a straight line to the bar to, to get a drink. But if there are, you know, 60 people in that room, you're going to have to adapt your plan. You're going to have to, you know, weave around and walk through. I mean, that's essentially, you know, we do it intuitively. We, you know, we adapt intuitively in our daily lives. Where we often fall short is when we're under pressure because we lose that focus, that discipline, and, of course, we, we, can't, we can't adapt as we should. And, of course, in my mind, I saw that, that scene happen exactly the way that you described it. You're a journalist, and you have a way with words. And <laughs> I'm thinking about this poor guy with a broken hand who's going, what just happened to me? You know? he, was going to, he was going to jail. That's it. I, that's what was about to happen to him. But, <laughs> and after he got out of jail, then, then he'd be what? <laughs> that was a bad idea. <laughs> no kidding. Don't don't not let go of someone. <laughs> that was amazing. That's a great story. <laughs> you know, there are five, and and what's the next one? We've talked about focus. We've talked about discipline. We've talked about adapt. Yep. What's the fourth yep. one? The being present, I mean, and I touched on that in the beginning. That that's the, the you know, I, I tell it through the story of this this actor who, um, he, he had a recurring role on Law and Order for, for years, and um, you know, then when he and I talked, he had this, this stage role of a lifetime and this this revival of a great play from the 1970s called called Streamers by David Ray. But you know, the the takeaway for listeners is. You know, an actor getting up on stage is, is doing something every night that horrifies so many of us. And that's, you know, he's standing up there and, and putting himself out there in, in public. Bearing and, your soul is really what it, you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, we've all heard these stories about, you know, if you're going to give a speech, well, you know, picture everybody in the audience in their pajamas or something like that. And, you know, that's a, a clever thing, but it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't go far enough for 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 most people. And and what this this actor told me is that the, the key is to be 
totally present. And for him, when he's on stage in this role, he, he is that character, in, in this case, a, you know, a, an army sergeant. I mean, he is completely that character. So if he flubs a line, if he stumbles on a word here and there, if he hears a ruffle in the audience, it doesn't matter because he's no longer himself. He, he's that actor. And when it comes to people, you know, getting up there and giving a big business presentation or if maybe they're a salesperson and they're going in um, – to 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 a new pitch a new account a giant account the problem most people encounter is they start to think you know oh boy i remember all the times in the past when i failed you know i remember all the times when mm-hmm. i wasn't quite you know up to the task i wasn't quite good enough and and that's what really in, inhibits them they're they're not present they're they're looking at that audience as something threatening as opposed to you know just a, a bunch of people who are are, are listening to to what they have to say and who really, most of the people in the audience really want them to do well because they're there to listen to what they have to say. And you're right. I think often it's so easy to go back into that museum of what I didn't do well and when I didn't do it well instead yep. of to focus on, wait a minute, I'm really prepared for this. I'm really passionate about this. I really care about the message. I really don't need these notes because this is something that I already know intrinsically within myself. I think it's so much easier to let ourselves sort of slip to those negative places. Yeah, and and chances are, I mean, the the person up there on the the stage giving the presentation forgets that he or she is the expert at that moment. Yeah, and he or she knows more than the the people in the audience, and and none of us want to sit in the audience and, and see somebody you know just stumble and mumble and 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 flub something because you think, oh God, this is this is just painful, yeah. and you know our natural empathy go, goes out to that person. All right, let's do number five. Let's talk about fear and desire because we've sort of segued into fear right here anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the first four traits are really, you know, what, what I call micro traits, and that we can all sort of, you, you know, use them and they help us all to be better under pressure. The, the fifth is more of a macro trait, and I, I talk about it. Uh, specifically in regards to, to entrepreneurs, because we have so many examples out there of, of entrepreneurs who have a great idea. You know, they have this desire to to, to do well, and, and many of them do. I mean, they start to see this this idea build, but without a healthy dose of fear, the fear that says, you know, if I don't stay focused, if I'm not disciplined, if I don't adapt, if I'm not present, I could lose all of this. Um, they can get into a lot of trouble, and we can kind of go through the past, you know, five, ten years of one, you know, corporate failure after another, from you know, WorldCom to, to Enron to Health South to you know Lehman Brothers. Very recently, you know, all of these companies fail because, you know, Countrywide was another great one. You know, the, the desire for success outpaced. You know, a healthy bit of fear that says, "Okay, let me, you know, make sure everything is in in check." And and I talk about it in the book with a, a very nice conversation uh, I had with Bernie Marcus, one of the the founders of the Home Depot. And you know, he founded the Home Depot when he was 49. He had just been fired from his previous job. He had a wife and several kids to support, and he said, "Oh God, what what am I going to do now?" And so intrinsically, he had that bit of fear, but he had this desire for success. But he never forgot what could go wrong. Uh, and, and that's why early on they named their management style running scared. <laughs> Which is perfect. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, you and I could talk for another hour. 
<laughs> oh, we could. Why not? Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm afraid we'd lose our listeners. <laughs> the book is just it's so interesting because you have so many people that you have spoken with and so many great examples that our listeners would be able to identify with immediately. If you could leave the listener with one takeaway in the palm of their hand from the book, what would it be, Paul? I'd say that you know anybody can become clutch. Anybody can become better under pressure in an area that they really care about. And it's not necessarily going to be easy, but it can be done with with work, and I'll end with with one last story, and that's uh, this fellow I talked to uh, for the book. His name's Tony Alvarez, and he's uh, works in, in, in finance, but he, he's very successful at what he does in business. But his hobby, his love, was bowling, and he bowled a lot. You know, he took his his wife along with him, took his friends along with him, anyone who'd go with him, uh, you know, they'd bowl, and. A couple of years ago, he had rolled 11 strikes. Now, this means one more, and he bowls 300, a, a perfect game. And he tells this story in which, you know, he realizes he's bowled 11 strikes, but so does everybody else in the bowling alley. Oh, no. The lights go down. Oh, no. Everybody stops bowling. They all look at poor Tony Alvarez. <laughs> The spotlight comes on. <laughs> Absolutely. He, of course, then looks around and says, oh, no, everybody's looking at me. Well, you can probably imagine what happened. He he, he rolls a ball, and it kind of, you know, wobbles down there and, and hits one pin and, and goes into the gutter. <laughs> Doesn't make it. All the lights come on. He sits down. His wife consoles him. says, you know, you got 11. That's pretty good. Well, he sticks at it because it's his passion. And, you know, a couple months later, same situation. 11 strikes, one more, what's going to happen? Well, this time he says, I'm not going to pay attention to everything around me. I'm just going to focus on my mechanics. I'm going to focus on my mechanics. I'm going to throw one more strike. Well, he does this, and I think this time he hits five or six pins. So he does better, but he still fails. Well, he's all but given up on the notion of bowling a 300 game until uh, you know, last year he's in this situation one last time. And he is so... You know, he was so frustrated by the first two, uh, you know, chances at bowling a 300 game that he just says to himself on this third try, he says, "You know what? Every other time today, I've just looked at that dot on on the alley, and I've rolled the ball over the dot. That's all I've done, and I've hit 11 strikes, and and it's worked fine. And so this time, on his third chance at a 300 game, that's all he does. He just looks at the dot." Rolls the ball, and then he watches. And he goes slowly down the lane, rolling over and over and over. Boom. 12th strike, 300 game. All right. And that's, that's clutch. That's the ability to do what you can do under normal circumstances, 11 strikes, under extreme pressure, that final strike to bowl a 300 game. Paul, you are absolutely fascinating. The book is terrific. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is a really busy schedule to be my guest today on Inside the Writer's Cafe. Thanks, Cheryl. I really appreciate it. Now, now, get all your listeners to go out there and buy the book. It'll be good fun for them to read. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. 
Allison Maslin is a master personal coach and president of the Blast Off Life, Career, and Business Success System. She's also the founder of the Homeopathic Academy of Southern California, as well as the co-founder and co-director of the Borali Group, a full-service advertising and public relations firm. She's written articles for local, national, and international publication, and she's with us today to talk about her latest wonderful motivational book, Blast Off, The Surefire Success Plan to Launch Your Dreams into Reality. Allison, welcome. It's so good to talk to you again. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, it's it's just like I said to you before we started the, the to record the interview. People are in such a bad place right now from a job standpoint, and I really think a book like yours is important for them to be able to get hold of and to understand that, you know, maybe you don't have a job right now. Maybe you were caught in some kind of layoff or whatever, but this book gives you an idea of how to push forward and push through that, and I just think it's important for us to talk about right now. Well, thank you, and it is such an important message, and I truly believe that there is a silver lining always, even in difficult times, and it's all a matter of perspective, and sometimes, you know, losing your job, even though it's such a difficult thing, really forces you to look at, you know, what do I really love to do in my life? Was I really happy in that job? Was it real fulfilling to me? And what about the possibility of creating your own security? You know, I tell people, create your own stimulus package and become an entrepreneur. And that's really uh, what a lot of people now are opting to do. And, you know, there have been some incredible businesses that have been built, you know, in a down economy. So there's a lot of advantages to that right now. Let's talk about what the listeners will find in the book. Let's just give them a little bit of a thumbnail sketch. And then, of course, you know, I've selected some things that I thought were important, but I want to hear what you think is important as well. Well, the book is really uh, a tool of inspiration, motivation, and a step-by-step plan to help you tap into your passion really figure out on a deep level what you would absolutely love to do in every single aspect of your life, your career, your personal life, your spiritual life, your health, you know, what would be your ultimate vision. So it helps you really craft that. And then it helps you break it down into a step-by-step plan so you know exactly what to do every single day. You know, because people really struggle with, first of all, You know, I know I want something more in my life. I'm not fulfilled, but I just don't know what that could be. So I have several processes in the book to help you figure that out. And then often there is such a big gap between where I am and where I want to go. That's where a lot of people struggle. You may know what you want to do, but you don't know how to get there. So this book really fills that gap by helping you break through the fear and then give you the steps to make it happen. You know, it strikes me that one of the the main turning points, at least for me about the book, is goal setting. And I know that often people will set goals for themselves, and as long as things seem smooth and things sort of tick along, they're fine. 
But when they come up against that resistance and there's some reason that, that they can't quite do this the way they thought they could, often people will just sort of stop and they'll think, oh, I can't do this or, oh, I can't push through that. And I think one of the really firm messages in Blastoff is, wait a minute, push through this. You can do this. And I really like that because I think we often need to hear those kinds of positive reinforcing thoughts. Definitely. And you are so right because that is that tends to be when things get difficult that people quit. And, you know, I tell people in the book and in my coaching practice, you know, don't take no for an answer. And anything worth having in life is going to take, you know, some some effort. But, you know, if the sign of, you know, somebody that ends up reaching their goals and their dreams is that they're willing to walk through those difficult times and just, you know, get creative, find another pathway. Maybe this direction that you're going to reach your goal isn't working right now. That doesn't mean that you can't reach the goal. Let's just, you know, go back to the drawing board and figure out another pathway. So it's really about shifting your thinking. Let's give an example of that success. And you know that I really admire what Linda Webb has done, and I think she is such a good example. Would you sort of tell her story for our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, Linda Webb is uh, a woman that came to me, and she was really uh, burned out in her career. She told me she just felt drained mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And she just said, I I need more in my life. And she had taken a job when she was younger to support her her kids and uh, taken a job for survival. And it helped pay the bills, but it wasn't fulfilling. And now her kids were a little bit older, and she said, I really want something for myself. So I took her through this process that's in my book, and what came up for her was that she loved fashion. She loved everything about it. But she thought she needed to come up with a lot of money to create a brick-and-mortar retail store. And I said, no, Linda, you know, things have changed. We can do the same thing on the Internet. And then you don't have the expense of the lease and employees and all of that. So we created this beautiful store on the Internet called HeavensPennies.com. And now not only is Linda, you know, uh, living her passion her life has been transformed. She's been able to send uh, both of her kids to college uh, recently at the same time because wow. of her new business. And, uh, you know, Heaven's Pennies, the inspiration for the name was because her mom had passed away from pancreatic cancer a few years prior. And her mom used to say, uh, you know, every time she saw a penny, that that was the angels shining down on them. And so after her mom passed, she kept finding these pennies. And so she knew that the inspiration and love of her mother was around. So therefore, hence the name Heaven's Pennies. And she has a percentage of sales for every everybody that buys something on her website to go towards pancreatic cancer research. And every time I find a penny, I think of Linda Webb and I think of Pennies from Heaven or Heaven's Pennies. You know, you find them all kinds of places. Yeah, and ever since you told me that story, I interviewed you when you were in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, 
and we talked on my television show, Conversations Cafe. And ever since we talked about that story and I find those pennies, it's just so funny because I always think about her and I think how well she's doing and how successful she's been. But, you know, like anything, it wasn't easy. And I think that what you do in the book by giving people a step-by-step tool is so valuable. And I love the fact that at the end of each day you have blast-off daily launch tools and you have a summary of each chapter's concept. Now, that doesn't mean go read the summary. That that just means those are nice reminder pages so that you can actually apply the tools to your own life and then look back at the summary pages so that you remember what the chapter said. Well, there's just so much in the book. Oh, I agree. There are so many tips and tools. So I really wanted to make it so easy for the reader so they could really apply it to their lives right now. And I think one really important point uh, to bring up is that so many people have fear. I mean, we all have fear. I have fear. Uh, But, you know, it's that really... Uh, that willingness to walk through it in the, and just taking those beginning steps, the fear will begin to dissolve because your confidence begins to rise. And many of us got some, you know, maybe negative messages when we were younger. You know, money doesn't grow on trees and, you know, who do you think you are and, you know, to go after your dreams and things like that. So, you know, it's not only things that are happening around us in the economy, but we really have to work through those kind of demons in our mind that are holding us back. And I give a lot of tools in the book to really help you shift your thinking. I call it flip switching. You know, oh, you read my mind. That was the next thing I wanted us to talk about. Talk about some of those flip switching exercises. I love that idea. Well, I mean, you know, think about what are those pervasive thoughts that go through your mind probably on a daily basis. You don't even realize because it's unconscious. Like, you know, oh, I'd really love to do that, but, you know, who would want to come to me? You know, what kind of value would I offer? You know, what if I fail? You know, what will people think of me if I, you know, make this change in my life? And so I really help you get to the core of what those fears are that are holding you back. And then I have you flip switch them to the complete opposite statement. So if you say, you know, I'm so afraid to fail, the opposite statement might be, I am a winner and I'm going to succeed, you know, all along the way. You know, Mm -hmm. something as simple as that. And even if you don't fully believe that right now, you know, that statement, say it anyway. Just keep saying it, and you immediately, your mood will rise. You'll feel a lift in your body physically and emotionally, and that just over time gives you more and more strength until you start to truly believe it yourself. One of the things that I think is very valuable is the huge resource list that you have in the back of the book. It's obvious that you've done lots and lots and lots of research yourself. And all of the quotes, It's just, the book is just jammed with wonderful quotes that I know took a great deal of time to uncover. Yes, I mean, the book has been a labor of love for me. And I really wanted to 
share, you know, a formula that would help people because I know they really need it right now, but also share my story because, you know, I was in a really uh, difficult time in my life, a career that was burning me out, draining me. I was in a very difficult uh, marriage, and I had a young daughter at the time, and I, I, my back was against the wall, and I finally said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. And I built up the courage muscles, and I left. I walked away from uh, you know, a successful business that was killing me and this difficult relationship, and I set out in the world as a single mom with no money, everybody telling me I was making the biggest mistake in my life, and I worked to, you know, find my passion, and I made a decision at that point that everything that I did from that point forward was going to be things that I was absolutely passionate about. And I went on to build eight more businesses, find my soulmate, you know, raise my daughter, and uh, she's making her mark on the world. And I never looked back. And so I really want to impart the message, you know, to people that feel that they're stuck in their life that in any situation, you absolutely can turn it around, I promise you. See, I think it's so powerful that you can tell your own story and that it says, bottom line is, hey, I didn't just write this book. I'm walking my talk. I am literally doing exactly what I'm advising you to do, and I've done that, and I've been where you are. And this can work. I think that's so powerful, Allison. Well, thank you. I mean, I don't know how I could teach others if I haven't gone through it myself because I can truly resonate. I know what it's like to be down there in the trenches uh, and, and feel like that you've hit a wall. But if you just hang in there and take a few more steps, don't give up on your dreams, you know, they absolutely will manifest. If you could sit down face-to-face with the people who are listening to us right now, what are three major takeaways that you would like to give them about the book? Well, I would say that, you know, first of all, you absolutely deserve to be happy. And, you know, I've been traveling around the country on my book tour and meeting so many wonderful people and one of the you know major messages that i'm getting from people is they really feel that they don't deserve to follow their dreams that they really have to stay miserable right now and you know i'm really helping to shift and open their eyes that that's just not true i've seen some you know i've helped launch about you know uh, almost 30 businesses now in the last 2 years really from people that were in the same place of our listeners right now feeling stuck and now they're living their dreams. So, you know, first that it's absolutely possible. And the second is to, you know, know that when you make changes in your life, you might have people around you telling you that it's, you know, not possible and, you know, that you're going to fail. I got all those same messages when I made the change in my life. So, you know, I tell you to just... Uh, stay focused on your dream, on your goals, and and walk towards it every single day. And don't let anybody tell you that it can't be done. And my book blast off is like having me in the book with you to help you keep on track, to break it down into very very small steps. 
so it's not overwhelming at all. Uh, you can it helps you to create these uh, new beautiful uh, places in your life uh, without having to change too much that is going on right now. You can still have your job, take care of your kids, all the things that you're doing, but it helps you to build a bridge on the side to a new pathway. You know, rather than jumping off a bridge, it helps you to build this up. Then you can feel confident in that and then let the job go that you have now. If our listeners want to know more about you or more about the book or more about anything connected with Blastoff, is there a website that they should go to, Allison? Definitely, and thank you for asking. The website is www.myblastoff.com. That's M-Y-B-L-A-S-T-O-F-F.com. Well, you are always so motivational and inspirational to talk to. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Inside the Writer's Cafe. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. I really enjoyed it. And we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. And remember, until you join us next time, pick up a good book and read. <laughs>